You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. We are moving into a new sermon series. So if you would, as we move into a time of hearing from God's word, would you pray with me? Thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you that we could come and hear and receive. Would your Holy Spirit be present with us now? Opening us up to what you have to say. Not what we individually are thinking, not what I individually as the pastor am saying, but what you have to say. And if anything is not from you, may it go in one ear and out the other, but may your word sink down deeply within us. We will give you praise and thanks and say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As always, if you have any questions, please feel free to send them. I'll do my best to take a look at those. But you saw the introduction. There are uh, one another's in the Bible. You've heard them maybe before, lots of different ones. And as you saw the quote said, that this is the main function of the early church, was one anothering one another. We have uh, four to six weeks looking at these one another statements. So uh, if you want to peek ahead, you can. But uh, we're going to be looking at these for the next few weeks, leading us up to at least Christmas if maybe not even into Christmas. I know you're like, please stop talking about Christmas. But in church world, it is around the corner. Some of you I I did see are already decorated though, so good for you. God's blessing. Uh, Not only are these one another's vital to the early church, I think it's what every human being longs for. It's what every human being wants for themselves, to be one another in the world. This is certainly true for me. Uh, I, I share my story sometimes, regularly. But this is how I came to the faith, was that uh, essentially my family was broken down. Um, It was riddled with uh, drugs and addiction and homelessness to the point where everything just kind of came crashing down in eighth grade. Separated, my parents separated, we were living in abandoned homes. It was was not a great time. Um, And things began to turn around and my story is, is that I found Aaron and chased her to church and her dad said that I couldn't date his daughter unless I went to church and I thought that was the easiest way to ever get parents approval in my whole life usually it's it's a lot of like awkward dinners and stuff and uh, so I was like I can go to church I can go to a fun youth group and what I found at youth group was a family that loved each other and more than that they liked each other they had grown up together they had created memories they laughed together they genuinely enjoyed each other's company and that it was so compelling to me that is not i mean it wasn't jesus right away it was this beautiful family who one another one another and then i began reading scripture and the story how i began reading scripture is that i would be in sunday school or youth group and i didn't know anything about the bible literally nothing my extent of the knowledge of scripture was um the, you know, the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. That was it. That was all I knew about the Bible. Um, it was on Easter every year on TV back when you had to just watch what was on, right? Like that was, it's like, okay, I guess this is what we're watching. It's Easter. Even though it's Old Testament, it has nothing to do with Jesus. This is the movie that's on TV for some reason. And so I began reading my Bible and ultimately discovering a, a Jesus that was totally different than the God that I thought I knew, a God that I thought uh, hung out with uh, people who were not from where I was from, Right? He lived in Kelly Ridge or something, Sacramento or Chico, right? (laughs) God lived in Chico or something. He wasn't living in Thermalito on my street. And then as I read the story, I realized Jesus was walking my streets and hanging out with people that look like me. And it was this vision of Jesus that was so compelling to me. But before all that, 
I mean, easily six months, the thing that kept me at church was this community of people who loved one another, genuinely and deeply. Flawed as they were, uh, lovely human beings who created a family together. That is the one another that was compelling to me. I think this is something that every human being wants, and it was a vital function of the early church. Let's go on a field trip before we dive into Scripture. We are going to Ephesus, the ancient city of Ephesus, and I just kind of want you to see what the city was like before we dive into the Scripture that we're going to read. Paul writes to the city. It was amazing. It was huge. It was beautiful. It's now in, in, in modern-day Turkey, but it was this great jewel of a city for Greece. It, it controlled one of the major routes of trade into Asia, and so it had everything. They were one of the only cities in the world that had every night oil-lit lamps. I don't know if I said that right, but you get the idea. Uh, lining every street. I mean, it was just, it had bounty, it had wealth, and there was lots of uh, different worship of different gods. This was the, the city center, the bazaar at the time, and you could go here. And, and it was a city that championed education and philosophy, and it gave rights equally to men and women. It, I mean, it was really uh, progressive for its time. And, and so this market was littered with artists and poets and philosophers, um, all kinds of stuff going on here, that road that leads there. And there was this great amphitheater there. And if you read Acts 19, St. Paul goes on a missionary journey there. And he's so successful that people stop buying idols, statues to worship. And they bring him in this amphitheater and they just boo him for a long time. He's concerned for his life, but he just takes a good booing. Um, and it, but there's so many people on his side that he, nothing that bad happens to him. But this beautiful amphitheater there. And this is uh, the opening to one of the most famous structures in the world. This is the Temple of Artemis, the Artemisium. It was, at the time, one of the seven great wonders of the world. Uh, It was a a, a sight to behold. Among the great seven that there were, this is a a reconstruction of what it would look like. It was a temple dedicated to uh, the Roman goddess Diana or uh, the Greek goddess Artemis and uh, a woman, and so women were really prominent in this community, for sure. Uh, One of the great Greek poets went and looked at all the great seven wonders of the world. His name is Antipater, and he says, I have seen them all. I didn't want to give you the whole quote, but that's what he starts off with. But when I saw the house of Artemis that mounted to the clouds, those other marvels, like the Pyramid of of Giza, right, and uh, all those Colossus of Rhodes, those other marvels lost their brilliancy. And I said, lo, Apart from Olympus, the sun never looked on anything so grand. It was one of the greatest seven wonders there was, according to Antipater of Sidon. Um, And so this is the context that Paul is writing into. That there are temples, and there's this great temple, and then there's all these other cults and temples around, and and there's all kinds of religious activity, and it's a bustling economy. And and Paul comes here to do a missionary journey, and and he starts with the the synagogue, and he goes in and he preaches to the Jews first, and and some of them become disciples, and he takes those, and then he preaches to the Greeks, and some of them become disciples, and he starts this community uh, of Christians, of Jesus followers, right there in the middle of this bustling Ephesus, and ultimately Christianity flourished and idolatry diminished the worship of pagan gods and the temple of Artemis was used ultimately when it fell into disrepair in about 230s uh, the church was so prominent at the time that they were able to take the the stuff and and build this beautiful church called the Hagia Sophia Christianity dominated here 
But before it dominated, before all that, for all that uh, coming about and Jesus kind of becoming the prominent figure at Ephesus, there was a brand new Jesus-loving church at Ephesus that was utterly divided, torn apart right down the middle. And here's how they were divided. How were they divided? Thanks, great question. Here's how they were divided. It's almost like I didn't make this, and I'm sometimes like discovering stuff that I wrote down. How were they divided? Here's how they were divided. There were Jewish Christians, and there were Greek Christians. Those who are in my Ephesians class knows all about what's going to happen here. Uh, they, they, both of them love Jesus very much, but come from different cultures. Yeah? And so this created, this created a, a wild division. And here's why. Jews still didn't work on Saturdays. Uh, they wouldn't participate in things on Saturdays. And as you know, in our culture, Saturday is a big day. Stuff happens. And they were like, no, thank you. And so there's already starting to be like, hey, why won't you join us in our fun and games? And the Greek Christians were like, let's party, right? Whatever, whatever. Whatever's whatever. They didn't take Saturday off. The Jewish Christians, uh, there was eating issues. One, no, no pig. They did not eat anything pig-related, but also because they had such strict dietary uh, restrictions, um, they wouldn't eat with people. They wouldn't go to their houses and commune, they, which was a big deal in every culture except probably ours, where we're eating fast food in our car. But every other culture was like, uh, eating together was wildly important, and, and these Jewish Christians and Jews at the time wouldn't, wouldn't eat with anybody except themselves. And the Greeks would eat anything, right? Bacon. Paul says you can eat food sacrificed to idols as long as it doesn't make anybody stumble. You just eat anything. And so this created some more division. They couldn't have table fellowship together. Even though they both loved Jesus, now they weren't eating together. Uh, circumcision, you know. That's all I'm going to say about that. But these, these folks insisted on it, and Paul had said, don't worry about it. It's about our heart, right? Not about the outer extremities of our body. And then lastly, one of the issues was taxes. And there were some Jews that were stuck outside of Israel, and they didn't want to honor this emperor, and so they refused to pay taxes to the emperor, and so they would only send their yearly tax to the temple in Israel. And this made them wildly unpopular in the community of like, look, at, do you see that beautiful road we just made? How do you think we did that? With taxes, and you didn't contribute to that, but you get to benefit all of that. And so the Greek Christians paid their taxes. And so how they get divided is that they both love Jesus. But these folks think these people aren't religious enough. And these people think these people are giving them a bad name to their neighbors, are making it harder for them to share Jesus. And so they start pulling away from each other. They start distancing themselves from one another. Um, and there's deep division within this Ephesians church. And the Apostle Paul writes into that he writes in the middle of that situation. I mean, that's the thing he wants to address is the division, the division between the Jewish Christians and the Greek Christians, or sometimes he uses the word Gentile, which in the Jewish concept, Gentile is anyone who is not Jewish. It's us versus them, literally. In that one. So here's the passage from Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, our good news for today. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, Paul is in prison writing to this church that he started. I beg you to live as people worthy of the call, that's going to be important, you received from God. Conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience, and bear with one another. I always, it's like in the movie when they say the title of the movie. I'm going to highlight it for you. I said it. I said one another. We're doing it. 
Bear with one another in love and make an effort to preserve the unity of the spirit with the peace that ties you together. You are one body and you and one spirit, just as God also called you in one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. This is just part of the letter he sends, but I think it summarizes the message of this book in a big way. Here's my questions I'm asking and the points I'm going to bring up today. What is that call that we've been called to, that he wants us to honor? How does that call transform us? Heart. And what are we supposed to do with it? Head, heart, hands. You know how I preach. Something to know, something to feel, something to do. First point, what does God want us to know? The church is only as strong as it is united. The church is only as strong as it is united. Live as people worthy of the call you received. Right. You are one body, he will say. Make an effort to preserve the unity, he will say. What is the call that he has called us to? I have to read some more scripture to you uh, just so that you can get the sense of how Paul builds this up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you right away, but he builds up what this call is that we have. And he uses words like, God showed me his secret plan. The great mystery of God was revealed to me, and I'm going to reveal it to you now. He's building up. You're like, I want to know what the secret is. I want to know what the great mystery of God is. I know. I didn't build it up for you. I'm just going to hit you with it, so good luck. But here it goes. He says, this plan is that the Gentiles would be co-heirs in parts of the same body, and that they would share with the Jews in the promises of God and Christ Jesus of the gospel. Our calling, the great mystery of God, is that we are one unified body in Jesus. Everybody, everybody in the whole world now has equal access to, to God through Jesus Christ. It's not a certain group is special and called, but everyone now gets to share as co-heirs, what does he say? as co-heirs in the promises of God in Christ, right? With the Jews. This is the great mystery of God, that since the beginning of time, God had always planned on everyone getting to be a part of what God is doing, God's family, God's tent. Sure, God started with a community, people called Israel, but that was always meant to be expanded for everyone. And so he says, live as a people worthy of the call you receive. Make an effort to preserve the unity. This is what he's writing them to say to them. Stop fighting. Stop dividing. The power of Jesus' body on earth is in the unity that you express in one another. Can't fight against each other and the kingdom of God grow. It reminds me, I just have two sports things. This one is my favorite. I love when people score baskets in the wrong goal. I watch it regularly when they own goal themselves. Uh, but this is the most devastating one to me. Maybe it's not as funny to you, but I laugh every time. Take a look. A shocking end to a state basketball game in Yukon is making its way around the Internet. It happened in last night's game between Hugo, a school in southern Oklahoma, and Millwood near Oklahoma City. Well, 2 News reporter Dan Perlman is here now to show us exactly what happened. Less than four seconds in the game, Hugo has a one-point lead. A jump ball gives them possession. Marcus' brother pulls out his phone. Well, I'm about to get something amazing. The ball is tossed inbounds. A Hugo player catches it. He drives. He scores. 
in Millwood's basket. I couldn't believe you through the game like this. That bucket meant Millwood would move on. Hugo's season was over. Today at the Maybe Center, some words of encouragement from Owasso. I tell him not to worry about it. I mean, it's just one moment in his life. He's got his whole life ahead of him. This isn't going to affect him for the rest of his life. Can you imagine doing something so embarrassing that high schoolers are like, it probably won't follow you forever. I don't know. Just like, don't worry about it. Like, <laughs> it was a season-ending game-time basket in his wrong goal to give the other team the victory. And their, their season was over, and the other team gets to move on. Can you imagine? I feel, I'm, I'm so, I just, I feel my tummy hurts for him. You know what I mean? It's just like, kids like, it probably won't follow you. This was five years ago, and there's a church in Thermalito watching this right now. It probably won't, probably won't ruin the rest of your life. <laughs> uh, working against each other, right? Not on the same goal. The, the unity was disrupted by accident, but even so, the goal was missed. They didn't head to the right. Again, I'm going to give you another sports analogy because last week I watched my beloved 49ers get pounced. Wow. By the Packers. And I think this was the play that really broke my heart. I mean, we're already losing by a million points, but uh, I'm going to, I got some, look at this professional stuff I got. Um, this guy, this guy, there's five guys lined up on the Packers team to rush. There are, but only three of them are coming in. There are five 49er players here, plus the sixth one is the quarterback. And you would think they would be able to defend off three guys here. You would think, right? Just kind of show what he can do. They, they've had to give him a little bit three more guys. help at times. And Zach Fumbles. This is not a good point in the game. It's like, oh, okay, well, it's over, right? You would think they're trying to work together as a team. They're trying to be unified. There's five of them out there. I know they have so many injuries going on, my, my poor team here. Even Aaron Rodgers was like, yeah, they got a lot of injuries. Like, he knew that it was not uh, a fair game. But there's five of them trying to defend one guy, and three of them come in and are able to make the Something's breaking down. They're all trying to head towards the same goal. They're trying to be unified. They're trying to go in the right direction. And yet something broke down and it all fell apart. And I just have, I mean, hopefully you get the point of what I'm saying is that the church is only as strong as it is unified. This is a team sport. And this is why we have to one another one another because without the team, we're not moving forward. We're not moving towards the goal that Jesus has asked us to move towards. And ultimately, we're not participating in the grand mystery of God, which is that we would live together co-heirs of the promises of God. What is the calling we have to be united as one body? And what's the problem? Why is that so hard? Because people are so hard, right? I had a dream that I was preaching this sermon two nights ago, and the dream was is that I got up, and I only had the introduction, and I didn't have anything else. I don't know if you have dreams like that about your job where they, you have to do something, and you didn't, you didn't do it all the way. Um, it's church and the movie theater from 10 years ago. I'm like, didn't figure it out. And the line that killed in my dream at this point in this sermon was, the problem with people is that they're people. And everyone was like, oh, this is so funny. It doesn't actually pan out in real life, but in my dream, it crushed, y'all. But I think it still makes a valid point. The problem with people is that they're people. It's hard 
People are difficult. Jesus wants us to be unified. The reason why unity is commanded is because people can be very difficult. So how do we live out our calling? How do we live out our calling in this, uh, to be unified, to have unity? Paul tells us with our heart as people, as individuals, here are the qualities we need to make this happen. People require patience. People require patience. As a prisoner of the Lord, I'm begging you to live worthy of the call you received, to live unified, to reveal the grand mystery of God that we are co-heirs and everyone gets to be included in what Jesus is doing, everyone in the whole world. Therefore, conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Conduct yourselves. Like, that just makes sense, right? When you're talking about being a group of people, a family together, the qualities that we need are humility, gentleness, patience. Humility, gentleness, patience. What is this stuff that we're talking about? Humility literally means a lowliness of mind. Tapeno frasune is the Greek word. Tapeno means low to the ground. Frasune means mind, thoughts. And so this humility is, is literally not thinking better of yourself or thinking more low of somebody else, thinking worse of somebody else than they actually are. This is having a, a humility about who we are, how good we actually are, how bad we actually are, right? Literally, our unity begins with our thoughts about one another. How we think about one another is going to shape the unity that we have with one another. Gentleness. I heard a famous theologian, John Stott, biblical scholar, he put it this way. Giving way in love to all that's not sin. That means bending. It doesn't mean breaking, right? But it means giving way, making room, making space for everybody else in every way we can except sin, right? We're not giving way to to the sinfulness of ourselves or others, but we're giving way in love. It's a kindness that permeates us and our community. And lastly, patience. The word is macrothumia. We know macro means big or long, the long view, right? Uh, Thumia means suffering, the old biblical word of long suffering, which uh, that's how it breaks down. And sometimes that gives me a better understanding of what Paul is asking of us here, to be able to suffer for a long time. This is what patience is, to be able to put up with stuff that grates against us for a long time. I bought coffee the other day. When I go shopping, I go shopping for the household on Mondays. And when I go shopping, sometimes I treat myself to some coffee. And I like my coffee like that. Pretty black. I get three shots, three espresso over ice. And I want just the smallest amount of milk that you can put in. Get a pipette and just put some in. That's what I want. Just to take the edge off, right? Just take the bitterness off. But I don't, you know, that's, that's what I'm looking for right there. And so when I order my drink, I was like three shots over ice and very light cream. And they're like, okay. And every time it looks like this. It is a milkshake. I can't even drink it. It's just like, it's all milk. And I, I do not ever correct anybody. I'll just drink it and just try to enjoy myself. But this time I walked back in and I was like, uh, can I please get that. And then I had, they made me wait for like 12 minutes. And I was just, by the end of it, I was like, I'm going to come tonight and graffiti this place. And it's just going to say light cream on it. Like, that's what I was thinking, right? Like, obviously 
not doing that. But there's something when your patience wears thin that just there's grit and anger and frustration and thoughts of violence. And I had to go and do some research about it. And I was reading about well, why your brain hates slow pokes was the article that I came across. The high speed of society has jammed your internal clock. And there was all kinds of interesting stuff in this about how they would um, go to big cities all over the world and they would mark out 60 feet and then they would take, they would count how long it takes for people to walk that 60 feet. And just in like the last 20 years, they've shaved off like three seconds from like 14 down to 11. Society's speeding up. I don't have to tell you. She has this great quote. The speed of human movement from pre-modern times to now has increased by a factor of 100. The speed of communication has skyrocketed by a factor of 10 million in the 20th century. And data transmission has soared by a factor of around 10 billion. And this is the takeaway that was helpful for me in thinking about my own lack of patience and frustration was the pace of our lives is linked to the culture researchers have shown. Society's accelerated pace is shredding our patience. So Paul calls for us to be long-suffering, but there's something about our culture that is tearing apart our ability to do that. You ever like had to wait for Netflix to load? You know what I mean? Like, remember when you were a kid, it was like it took all night to get a song off Napster illegally, and now you're just like, if Netflix doesn't load immediately, I'm calling the company right now. You know what I mean? There's just a way in which our society is sped up, and it shreds our patience. I know that's true about me. It's probably true about you. And this is what Paul is reminding us, encouraging us to have. Paul reminds us for us to live out our calling of radical unity and diversity. We require to develop patience with one another, gentleness or kindness and humility, a, a, a not thinking too highly of ourselves. What does God want us to do with this? Probably every one of these do or these hand points is going to be the point because it's a command. Bear with one another. And the thing I love about commands is two things, and I bring this up regularly. One is when you are given a command, it's because God believes by the power of the Holy Spirit you are able to do this. So we can do this. But also the reason we're giving a command is because it does not come naturally to us. God doesn't have to command stuff that comes naturally to us. He's never like, be greedy, right? Because you're like, oh, I knew that pretty great. So God gives us commands because it doesn't come naturally, but God knows we can do it with God's help. And so this is where Paul says, right? Bear with one another and make an effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit because there's one God, one Lord, one body, one faith, one baptism, God the Father of us all who is over all. At first, when I heard bear with one another, it sounds a little bit like just put up with each other. But as I begin to think about it and pray about it and research it, that is not what he is intending at all. Because he ends with, in love. Right? Bear with one another in love. And so uh, different, I looked at different versions and how they translated this. CEB has accept each other. The NLT has make allowances for each other's faults. Because of your love and the message, Eugene Peterson, right? Pour yourselves out for each other in acts of love. And the, and the thing that I began to, the thing that I began to, I got a pizza coming. It's, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, the thing that I began to understand about this is that it's more about making space for our uniqueness in our unity. Just because we are called to unity doesn't mean we're called to uniformity. 
We get to be ourselves in Jesus Christ as a body. And so when we're bearing with one another in love, we are making space for the uniqueness of each individual as we become a family in Jesus. We are honoring the things that make us diverse, that make us different. It means whatever our idea of community that we're holding bear or bearing, it means that that person now is a part of community. Whatever you think the church should be like, or your family should be like, or your workspace should be like, whatever you think it should be like, Bearing with one another means that in your conception, in your lowliness of mind, your tapeno frasune, you are making room for that person to get to be a part of that community in their uniqueness, with their faults, with their issues, and all their beautiful giftedness and qualities. I've been seeing this quote in a lot of memes, so I've got the video, and we'll be ending with this. Any final questions, be sending them now. Lord of the Rings, here we go. I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Powerful for me, seeing it in the meme, right? This idea of Frodo's like, I don't, I wish I didn't have to go through this. Gandalf. Everyone who goes through hard times thinks that. But that's not for us to decide. It's not up to us. That's out of our control. All we get to control is what we do with the time that we have. Gandalf, in my mind, is teaching Frodo about radical acceptance. Radical acceptance, which is a a psychological term about letting go of control over stuff that we can't or have no business controlling. Radical acceptance. It doesn't mean that we don't fight for our health or the futures that we want. It doesn't mean that we don't push towards the goals that we have, but there's some things that we don't have a lot of control over or that we shouldn't have a lot of control over. And I think that's what Paul is teaching us here when he talks about bearing with one another. We can control how much we submit to the Holy Spirit in growing in patience and humility and gentleness. That's what we control. How much do we submit to the Holy Spirit in our, in our growth about having patience, humility, and gentleness. But in Jesus and in love, people are radically accepted into the unity of the community and all their uniqueness. And when we try to control who gets to come and how they get to come and and what they do when they come, that is when we are trying to control something that God has not asked us to control, that we are putting ourselves in God's space, in God's seat, And really what Paul is asking us in bearing with one another in love is to make space for everyone. Now, obviously, there are times when we need to put boundaries on what healthy community looks like. There are times when we need to make sure that sin isn't infesting in our community. There's not unhealthy practices going on. But by and large, at the end of the day, it's not our job to determine who gets to be a part of what Jesus is doing. The grand mystery of God revealed in Jesus Christ is that everyone now gets to come. This is how we bear with one another, by making space for them. Amen, amen, and amen. If you have any questions, send them. I did get some here, but it was mostly people being like, hey, Someone was like, that line might have killed, you should try it. Okay, I'll try it. 
the problem with people is that they're people. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, thanks. Dreams do come true. Also, your tag name is Light Cream. You would think so. It's right there. They're like, no, we got to fill that cup up. Um, next question. How do we practice humility, especially in our current social dynamic? Uh, what advice or practical ways can we practice humility with each other? Well, I think the first, um, the first thing that we have to get right is that this is something the Holy Spirit does in us. And so a lot of this is spending time with Jesus, submitting to what God is doing in our life. We, we can't make ourselves more humble in our hearts. Right? We can feign it. We can, we can try to do it in public. We can try to, I don't know, be polite and, and, and fake humility. But if we want true heart humility, this is something that Jesus is doing in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. But there are practices that we can do, and I think many of the practices that we do do uh, as Christians can help, like fasting is one of the ones I'm thinking about. Fasting is a great practice in humility um, because you are learning that humans don't live by bread alone, right? but by the Word of God. Right? That there's, and there's something, and then when you get hungry, it is so much easier to get impatient and to be angry and to realize just how thin of a thread it is separating you from just full-out anger all the time. And so I, I, I believe in the power of, of fasting because it reveals a lot of what's going on just by just not eating until 3 p.m. That's what classic uh, Christian fasting is. And then I think confession is the other best Christian practice, that if you are confessing regularly your faults, if you're doing daily inventories at the end of the day of going, where did I not measure up to what? God has expected of me in life. And if you can even find someone in your life to say out loud, here is where I've messed up this week or am messing up, that will let the Holy Spirit do a great work of humility in you. Amen? Amen? Amen. Conclusion. Thanks. With our head, what does uh, God want us to know? That our great calling as part of the great mystery of God is to live in unity together. And with our heart, this requires us to grow in patience, humility, and gentleness. It's the only way this is going to work. And with our hands, Paul encourages us to bear with one another in love so that we can embrace the uniqueness of each other, letting go of control that God has never asked us to have. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how you speak into our lives. First, we thank you that we are invited that we are accepted, that you love us as much as you will ever love us right now, that you will not love us any less or any more based on anything we ever do. So, Father, thank you for that acceptance. And now, Father, we ask that you would help us, help us to embody that for others, that they would come that they would feel and experience your goodness and your presence in our life, in the life of our church, where they feel radically accepted for who they are as they learn to grow and walk with you. Now, as we come to a time of communion, a time of hearing from you personally meeting us here with this bread and this cup be the first steps 
spiritual nourishment on this journey, growing closer to you and closer to one another. And we give you praise and thanks. And would you now pray with me the Lord's Prayer? It's going to come up on the screen right now, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, 